For the last time this uh, Lent, I promise, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. What would you do to gain the whole world? Don't answer aloud, or the tempters may hear you. Tempters, you ask, I thought there was only one. Oh, that's what evil would have you believe. They want you to think it's all obvious If you could spot the devil, pointy ears, pointy tail, pitchfork in hand, it wouldn't be all that challenging to say no, would it? You'd be just fine. You could defeat him easily. The only devil I know that looks like that is a friend of mine. (laughs) He wants your allegiance. He wants your money. And some have built a religion around him. But he's far less dangerous than those other tempters, the ones who would offer you the world. Jesus was offered the world. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. My guess is that Jesus' tempter looked a whole lot more like his friends than my friend the devil. Even so, Jesus saw through him. He was already defeated twice and now the stakes were at their highest, but so was Jesus' commitment. All the temptations were really about weakening Jesus' commitment. None of them were to do bad things, making bread, calling on God to care for us in time of trouble, ruling the world, those aren't bad. That last one sounds bad to us. We like term limits. But don't forget, before this all ends, Jesus will be granted all authority in heaven and on earth. He rules the world, just not in the way the devil offered. The difference is how Jesus got to the place of ruling the world. 
rather than receive the authority to rule the world in exchange for his soul, he is granted the authority to rule the world after the hard work of ministering to bleeding persons and outcasts, sinners and foreigners, the, the hungry and the hurting. It's after he was lifted onto the cross that he was given the keys to the kingdom. Now, I'm pretty sure that you don't see the tempters as easily as Jesus saw Satan. Most of us don't have a visible Satan, nor are we moved instantly from place to place and offered such amazing gifts. The way Matthew depicts Jesus' temptation, it's like a a cross between a Christmas carol and indecent proposal. No slide for that one, sorry. Our lives aren't so dramatic. It's a little temptation here and a little temptation there. And it's hard to see the, the harm in it until we realize that our subtle temptations, like the overt ones that Jesus faced, are based in the same fundamental temptation. The basic temptation is the same whether we're talking about Jesus on the mount of temptation or you and me in our ordinary workaday lives. The basic temptation is to treat God as less than God. Command these stones to become bread because God won't fully provide for you. And there's nothing more important than your physical desires, even God. Throw yourself down from the top of the temple and God will provide for you. God will take care of you. But you wonder, you doubt. Will God? Can God? And if God won't, what kind of God is that? And if God can't, what kind of God is that? Worship me and the kingdoms of the world will all be yours. Because God doesn't seem powerful enough to really handle it on his own. Maybe you're the one who needs to handle the kingdoms. How do these temptations end up sounding in your life? Command these stones to become bread becomes you got to take care of number one. That's how they used to say it. Now they say, i got to get mines. I had to look that up. I'm not as... Uh... Anyway. Either way, it's the same, right? It's on me to beg, borrow, steal, whatever it takes to get what I want. Throw yourself down from the top of the temple and prove God will take care of you. Becomes, I made these decisions, you see, and they weren't good. Some of them felt good at the time, but now I see that they weren't. And I don't want to deal with the consequences. I need somebody to bail me out. God, if you will, then I will. Worship me and the kingdoms of the world are yours. Now, this is tricky because it's extreme and none of us, if we have any sense at all, would want to have all the kingdoms of the world. Most of us have trouble keeping up with our little bits of the kingdom that we have been given to care for as it is. But, but the question is really, what's enough? What's enough to be content? What's enough to be comfortable 
What's enough to be confident that we will be secure enough with whatever is ahead? There must be a minimal answer to that, but, but I don't know what it is. It doesn't take much imagination to imagine a scenario in which we outlive our means. We hear stories like that from time to time. But truth be told, we hear more stories, if we're paying attention, of people whose means outlive them. Of people who have enough at the end of their life to share. In either scenario, though, Jesus' teachings weren't to the benefit of the insurance industry or the benefit of the financial planning industry. He wasn't for or against portfolios. He talked about trust. About rightly placed trust versus misplaced trust. Those bigger barns you just built, he said to the one who tore down plenty big barns and built bigger ones, they're misplaced trust. Trust the one who gave you the means to have the barns in the first place. When we baptize someone, we speed past the question far too quickly. It's a question we ask the baptized, or if they're young, we ask their parents. It's a question we're going to ask the confirmands next month when they get confirmed. The question is, do you put your whole trust in Jesus' grace? That's a significant question. Your whole trust. I put my trust in my ability to turn stones into bread. Wrong answer. I put my trust in my ability to force God's hand to protect me or to force God's hand to rescue me. Nope. I put my trust in the powers afforded to me by the kingdoms of this world. They will not hold up. Do you put your whole Trust in Jesus' grace. See, what happens is the the tempters take these honorable things, industriousness, integrity, ingenuity, faith, resources, from, and then turns them into substitutes for God. We treat God as less than God when we treat these more like God. We begin to trust the gifts more than the giver. And somewhere along the way, we begin stealing from God. You know, money isn't the only thing we steal from God. It's one of the things we steal from God, but it's not the only thing. We steal God's role. God made a covenant with Abraham. I'll give you this land. I'll give you countless descendants. I will provide for you everything you need. All I ask is that you be different than those around you. You and your descendants are to be fully committed to me. In other words, I'll be God. You treat me as such. Or or with Moses. Here are the laws. This is how you and my people are to live. This one, the first one, it's etched in stone. You shall have no other gods before me. And God didn't say it, but I imagine a minute later God regretted not saying it. You know, the, the no other gods before me, 
That includes you. You shall have no other gods before me, including you. I think God wished he'd said. One of the indications that we are treating God as God is our obedience. Jesus modeled this for us, but never more obviously than when he asked God to take the cup, the cross from him. Yet not my will be done, but yours, he said. The cross, the symbol of our faith, is a reminder not only of Jesus' love and of his mercy, but also of his service. It's a calling to us. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them? They gain the whole world, but forfeit their life. Somehow in Jesus' paradox... In his ways that lead to life. Service to God, service to others, obedience to God, treating God as God are far more valuable than gaining this world. There's nothing that the tempters can offer you that is worth your soul.